Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Well, hello, my name's Pam Norman, and uh, I'd like to acknowledge that our gallery stands on Ghana land, and uh, to, we pay our respects to their elders past and present. And uh, welcome to this new small exhibition in Gallery 17. Um, it's about metaphysics, which is basically inquiries into the nature of reality. And so there are mirrors and various optics and illusions around you and a lot of contrast between dark and light. Today I'm going to talk about this work, which obviously has a lot of dark and light contrast because it's black and white photographs. It's a very fractured image and sort of illusionary, as we'll see. Its name is Dark Shadow Number no. 9. And it's one of the oldest in this little exhibition, one of the earliest, I should say, along with Nalini Milani's photograms there and the tiny little Joseph Alba's work up on the top of the wall. It was painted, or made, in 1974 by an artist called Gilbert and George. And I say artist singular because Gilbert Proch and George Passmore are two separate artists, but Gilbert and George act as one single artist. They met in September 1968 when they were both students at St. Martin's College of Art in London. They were on the advanced sculpture course there. They liked sculpture, but they didn't like the way it was taught as a, a very formalist approach based on colour and shape and line. They thought that they would like to take sculpture beyond the mere making of objects. They were very poor. They didn't have any money to buy materials for sculpture, like bronze and so on. So instead they said, why can't we be the sculpture? And so in 1969 they made their first work, and it's still probably the work they're best known for, so I'm going to say a little bit about it in introduction. It was called The Singing Sculpture, and it comprised Gilbert and George dressed in tweed suits, shirts, ties, sensible leather shoes, standing on a table. And they would play some music. They actually had the Hardy and Hudson version of an old 1932 song that was originally popularised by Flanagan and Allen. It was called Underneath the Arches. And while they played this music, they danced to it in a rather slow and robotic fashion on the tabletop. When the song came to an end, one of them would get down and turn over the tape recorder, climb back up, they'd swap over their props, they had a couple of props, a sort of really old brown rubber glove, and a walking stick, which was actually a toy, it had a squeaker on one end and it was green, green tip and handle, and the one holding the glove would swap the tape over and then they'd swap tape and stick and they'd start all over again. Initially, they just moved to the music, but later on they would sing as well. And they took this with them all around the world. They toured through Europe with it, and then later on they went to New York, where they toured 
extensively in New York. The, by then, the performance had grown to eight hours of singing. And they would stand on this table and sing for eight hours. It even came out to Australia and it went to the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Art Gallery in Victoria and it was scheduled to come on to us in Adelaide. But the artists were too tired and they called it short and went home so we never got to see it. They did other works like this as well. They did a, a, a work called Posing on Stairs where they stood on some stairs in an art gallery in Amsterdam for... Uh, five hours, all dressed up, and with their faces bronzed to look like sculpture. So at this point, they decided, well, we've, we've made the sculpture us. Why can't anything be sculpture? And they started producing all sorts of other sculptures, in inverted commas. They did postal sculptures, which involved sending out carefully aged pieces of good letter writing paper to people. They did an eating sculpture where they invited friends over with a menu. They had uh, soup, turbot steaks, and they finished off with something called Saxon pudding, and they all sat and ate the dinner. They had an actual work that they called a dinner sculpture, and they invited another artist um, with a menu to come and join them for a meal. The artist, incidentally, was David Hockney. And uh, they sat there, they had a, a butler and a waiter. Everything was very polite and they had formal conversations through the whole meal. So that was their dinner sculpture. Then they produced postcard sculptures. They would get hundreds of copies of exactly the same postcard and then arrange them in patterns and shapes rather as they have done with these photographs in this work. So all of this led them to decide they'd take the whole concept a bit further again. Anything can be sculpture and they could be sculpture, why couldn't their lives be art? And they turned themselves into kind of living art. They bought an old house in Spitalfields in the east of London, and it was a very, it was previously a Jewish area, by then very cosmopolitan, quite run down. Um, the house they bought had been a Bangladeshi sweatshop, and uh, they've lived there ever since. They've got a kitchen, which contains one kettle and a jar of instant coffee because they don't believe in wasting time on anything that is not art. So they have no car, they never take holidays, they eat in a local restaurant called Mangoldsu, a Kurdish place, and they walk there in their suits every day side by side in the morning for breakfast, again at lunchtime and again for dinner. Of course, they're quite well known now. I imagine wearing a suit in that area, you'd stand out somewhat. So lots of people come and talk to them. And uh, they're always wearing their tweed suits and they, talk, they call them the responsibility suits of our art. In the restaurant, they have the first thing on the menu every time until, as George said, we're nearly vomiting from it and then they move on to the second thing on the menu, and so on. They say their art and their lives are about earnest daily thoughts, shadows, deeds, cares, and pleasures. And Matthew Collings, who is an English critic, and he did a series called This Is Modern Art, he described them as like a couple of gay Prince Charles. So we come to Dark Shadow here, 
19, around about 1972, they sold a work in Germany for a huge sum of a thousand pounds. And they said, what will we do with it? Let's get drunk. And this ushered in a couple of years of what they described the next few years as being very destructive. And uh, there was much drinking, much singing, much falling over. And they often referred to General Gordon, who was the Gordon's gin. And at this time, all their works were connected with drinking. They said, it was our job to be involved with drunkenness. Not pleasure, a duty to explore. So they were exploring it on behalf of us uh, viewers. And this work would be described as a photo sculpture. And it contains 19 silver gelatin photographs Often with their drunk photographs, they would mount them on the wall sort of at different funny angles or some of them would be blurred and, and fuzzy to give you the impression that you were drunk. This one's more regular. They saw life as divisible into sections. Discipline and order divided life up and this is reflected in this work along with their others. Later on, they went into larger works, but at the time this was made, in the early 1970s, there was no such thing as digital photography. So they were limited by the sizes of photographic paper that was available, and this is probably about the largest. They also found that having lots and lots of small works that combined into another work made it very easy to transport the work and to reassemble it at the other end. It's black and white and half tones, and it might give you the impression it's a documentary work, but it's not. It was all staged very carefully in their Fournier Street house in Spitalfields. The centre panel is framed in what they call the colour of desperation, red. Until now, all their works were black and white. Later on, they went to do some works like this where entire panels were red-coloured, covered in a red wash, and then after that, even more discrete elements. But this was the first intrusion of red into their work. Uh, later on, the next series, Cherry Blossom, and another one called Bloody Life, there was a lot more red. In the centre there, you'll see it says dark shadow in sort of heavy text written on the background, and then you probably can't see from where you are, but it says, number nine, spring 1974, a drinking sculpture. And then they've signed it down here in red, George and Gilbert, there's a little crest. They love officialdom, anything to do with officials, so they're forever stealing the royal warrant crest or crests from Masonic lodges or whatever and putting them on their works. They don't sign the work at the when they make it. They leave careful little dotted lines for themselves and when the work is totally finished, then they come along and sign it. That's what they've done here. Then it has their address. It has 12 Fournier Street, East 1. It has Art for All which was the name of their company. They believed that art should not be in museums, not even galleries like this one. They thought that art should be out there, visible to everyone, and that that's what they were providing with their lives, being art for all. 
and they've put their telephone number on it too, if you look closely, and they put that on every work they made for their first five years because, as George said, we wanted to become known. And this is not a new idea. If you look in our Gallery 12 on the way out, you'll see on the south wall a picture of a letter rack by Edward Collier where the artist has stuck a little bit of folded paper into the letter rack, which says, Edward Collier, painter at London, by way of advertising. Now, the corner works are the same picture, as you can probably see, rotated around. They contain the detritus of a party which was probably fairly strenuous in more than one way. There's a checked napkin. There are bottles of wine and Gordon's gin. There's glasses, one of them tipped over. An ashtray full of cigarette ends. George especially was a great smoker. And also a length of chain, which may be a reference to how they are bonded, chained to their art. Their duty is to be art all the time. Now, north, south, east and west of the centre panel, these four biggest pictures show the artists lying on the floor of their house in Spitalfields, presumably inebriated. I hope your Christmas parties weren't quite so, um, quite so strenuous. They're surrounded by bottles, cigarettes, an ashtray, glasses, and halves of lemon. And incidentally, lemon is often used by Dutch still life painters as a symbol of mortality. If when you leave, you go into the next gallery and look on the opposite wall, there's a still life there by Peter Clace, which has a, a peeled lemon on the, on the table as a sign of uh, the fact that your life could be cut short unexpectedly. Now, Gilbert appears in these pictures to have passed out. George is still hanging in there. He's pouring from a bottle, and if you look closely, you can see SCH on it, so it looks like it might be Schweppes tonic into his glass of gin. They are the same scene, but unlike the ones in the corners, they haven't been rotated. It's the same scene looked at from four different points of view, if you like. They may have had an assistant take it for them, but it suggests sort of four little parallel universes, a bit like the parallel universes of Eliasson's work at the end, Dark Matter Collective. They're in the form of a cross because Gilbert and George see no reason not to use a, a shape that has some symbolism if they can. They did one drinking sculpture about pisco, which is a Peruvian form of brandy, and they put all the pictures of themselves drunk on this brandy up on the wall in the shape of an Inca god. They later on did another series a bit like this called Human Bondage, which gets a little bit darker. There's a lot of broken glass, and it's set up in the forms of swastikas and so on. This, the little photos are showing patterns of liquid. Is it blood or wine? We can't tell because it's black and white. But given the title, probably wine. It appears to have dried and it, it shows a bit of similarity to the famous ink blot tests used by Herman Rorschach in his psychiatric practice. And that may be the case because other artists at the time, like Andy Warhol, who was practicing at the time this was made, were using the, the Rorschach ink blot idea in their works. And certainly, 
uh, Gilbert and George's later works, they've done many now sort of metres long and metres high, and quite a lot of those have a mirror image effect in the centre of them. So this works the culmination of a series of photo montages right through 1971 to 1974. Uh, in 1972, after they discovered alcohol, they made a series of works called Names Like Spilt Drinks, The Bar, Falling and Staggering, Any Port in a Storm, and one called uh, In the Shadow of a Glass, which was actually a photogram in the same way that Nalini Milani is making photograms to my left there, the cameraless pictures. They did a film called Gordon's Makes Us Drunk, and a drinking sculpture, an actual 3D sculpture with bottles and glasses and liquor labels, all sitting there to the music of Land of Hope and Glory. In 1973, they had a whole exhibition called Reclining Drunk, and they did some postcard art that I mentioned earlier, that one of the postcards they used was um, seven overflowing glasses of beer, and along the bottom the text said, putting in our full week here. They also did a, a postal sculpture called Pink Elephants, which involved sending out little poems about drunkenness to people that they knew. I'll read one of these, which plays on their double identity. Had two dizzy spells at lunch today. Asked the two identical waiters to bring us a couple of doubles for the second time. Felt twice as good. So that was the length, very short poems. In 1974, they did a number of works. This is the ninth and the final one called Dark Sculpture, along with a whole book also entitled Dark, uh, sorry, Dark Shadow. Dark Shadow, the book, uh, had 136 pages. Each page had a, an image rather like this one and a short piece of text opposite. And they were all titled Drunken Something. So you got drunken figures, drunken floor, drunken chaps, drunken world, living, heart, scene, squalor, bottles, night, dinner, and so on. And this is the text that was opposite drunken figures, which was the picture most like this one, very similar. The two reclining figures roll and turn slowly as if roasting on a spit. They make suitable cooking noises and then sometimes there is a collision or a turning over of bottles. Clear, pure, strong alcohol laps heavily on the shore of this picture's meaning. A glass is carelessly filled, carefully emptied, carefully refilled and then carelessly emptied. The suits remold themselves with each movement into stranger, more valuable sculptures. The black shadow has come over the heads and bottles and all. And it was probably their last work on this theme, except for the alcoholic in 1978. But uh, towards 
towards the end of the uh, 70s and into the 80s, they veered away into doing works on the topics of religion and social issues. Although in a work from 1983 called Drunk with God, there is an almighty hand emerging, pouring gin down from the heavens. And in 2011, much later, they went out and stole 3,712 newspaper posters and used them to make a total of 392 black, white, and red poster sculptures, which involved finding posters that news agents had used with the same word in them, such as blaze or killer or violence or whatever. And they did do one on drinking. Play portrays Jesus as drunk womanizer or second clergyman attacked by drunk yobs. Incidentally, these business cards they stole, um, they, they also took the ones out of phone boxes and made card sculptures. And one of the ones they stole said, transsexual Linda, new in town. And they later made the rueful comment that they stole so many of her cards that they probably put her out of business. So, what are we to make of it? Is this self-indulgence? Is it maudlin narcissism? Or self-conscious cool? Gilbert and George's titles are always relevant. They feel it's a crucial and vital part of the work as a whole. But references to alcoholism and alcohol are not entirely literal. By it, they also mean other sorts of servitude, such as the subservience people in fascist regimes are under. So it does have a political meaning. However, there is also an element, I think, of that fashion in England in the 50s and 60s, started by John Osborne with his play called Look Back in Anger, of sort of kitchen sink drama, works which, which dealt on seedy stories about the English working class. You might remember movies like A Taste of Honey or Alfie. The work would have been designed, like all their works, very carefully with a series of detailed drawings first, and it has a formal structured arrangement. And the black edges, I think, give it some of the power and drama that you get from stained glass. And uh, they still use black edges in their work. And of course, as living art, they had a duty to make their ruin as photogenic, as interesting as possible, the sort of human equivalent of uh, crumbling ruins and ivy-covered walls. But they can always be relied on to poke gentle fun at themselves as well. And uh, for their performances, they used to have ties with pink elephants on, and they would uh, remark in a typical Gilbert and George reversal of the norm, they said, when you no longer see pink elephants, you know to stop drinking. And now I'm going to stop talking, but are there any questions? They're still working, they churn out works. They're very, very prolific. Um, there's a two-volume catalogue resume, I suppose, of all their works in the gallery. And the first volume alone, which covers from about 1968 through to 2005, weighs four kilos. And they did 1,019 works in that time. And remember, each work can have many sections.
and parts to it. So there's many, many thousands of photographs. Oh, they changed. Some of them would not be um, admissible to a, a, a family audience. The things that they think are important are firstly sex and religion, but otherwise social issues, and then they go through racism, multiculturalism, as, long, as well as more personal things. After this, they did a couple of series just in their home that they had in Spitalfields, and then they started venturing out. And most of their photos show just themselves, but later on they started hiring people to pose for them, and then they, they took photos from the first floor windows of their home of people in the street and started broadening it out a bit. And now uh, demon, demon possession and all sorts of theories are in their work, so I can only advise you to, to try and get a volume of their works and have a look. Very, very wide-ranging. Well, thank you very much for being a lovely audience.